0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed.
1: A'udhu billahi minash rahmanir rahim In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself, Samar and Usman Manan, and we will be with you, God willing, all the way up until 9 o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 208 687 7878 And, of course, you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at voiceofislamuk. Um, We are going to be speaking about three uh, topics today, um, as we uh, uh, oftentimes do uh, here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Um, The first segment is going to be in regards to how the Black Death 700 years ago affects our health today. Um, In the second segment, after the 8 o'clock news, we'll be speaking about climate justice is bigger than public opinion uh and we'll also be speaking about uh are just stop oils uh tactics correct uh are they right um and in the last segment um we're going to be speaking um about um, a, a, an article, uh, which has come out from from who? There, there's a surge in chronic disease by 2030, if people don't start exercising, and this is what the World Health Organization has um uh, d- uh informed us uh, about um but before we get into all of these segments and remember like i said before as well uh, if you would like to get involved in any one of these um uh, these discussions then of course please feel free to do so the number for you as always is 0208 and and you can tweet us and leave your comments on our instagram page as well at voice of islam uk um but but yeah. Before getting into that, of course, we do usually speak about the weather and go through the newspaper uh, headlines as well. Uh, but but Osman, um, how are you doing today?
2: Sorry, come. Uh, yeah, I'm very well. I'm doing good. How
1: are you doing today? Uh, very good too. By the, by the grace of Allah, the Almighty. Um, uh, um, uh, before we getting get into the outlook uh, of the weather from today uh, all the way up until Saturday. Uh, I mean, uh, did did you did you feel the winds last night? Uh, no, no. Okay, oh, I may, maybe because my uh, I, I live uh, on, a, on a quite a uh, elevated place. Uh, it's, oh. it's like on the fourth floor or fifth floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it it was it was crazy <coughs> outside. It it was, oh, was it, it was yeah, it was really windy. Um, and you could just hear like everything uh flying all over the place. I mean, but yeah, I uh, I
2: noticed uh this morning when I left.
1: Yeah. So I was throwing out the bins, and it was quite windy. Yeah. yeah so yeah.
2: Uh, I, was, I was thinking maybe it was quite windy last night, but yeah. I didn't feel it at night. Oh,
1: okay. I, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so what's what's the weather like um, uh, for today anyway? For 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 the for uh, for for over here in London and uh, uh, across the UK as well. Yeah. So
2: very breezy and unsettled wind, uh, unsettled with a band of rain clearing northwards to leave sunshine for a time. This morning, heavy and thundery showers developing in the afternoon, brighter in the afternoon further north. And tonight, showers will ease for many to leave clay spells. A few showers in western areas and it will turn cloudy, wet and windy in Northern Ireland towards dawn. A chilly night in rural areas. And on Wednesday, tomorrow will start sunny for for many areas but a band of heavy rain and strong winds. Will move in from the west through the day, remaining sunny in the southeast until the evening. Um, and uh, the day after, rain will linger for a time in the southeast, but there will also be plenty of sunshine. Showers in the west, with longer spells of rain in the north, and the northwest later on. Friday we'll see a more settled weather with plenty of sunshine. Chance of a few isolated showers in the north. Saturday we'll see. In the east, but a band of rain will move in the in from the west. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, I mean, the, the the weather isn't as uh, pleasant as it was um, um, how it has been in the last couple of weeks, um, and it is just getting into that the 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 wet and, <coughs> and cold days uh, over here in England, isn't it now? Yeah. Mm. Um, Getting into the newspaper headlines now, cabinet anger at uh, Braverman and tax rises for all. Um, Most of the papers focus on the political pressure piling on Home Secretary uh, Suela Braverman. The Times reports that senior Tories have raised concerns. Uh, her statement in the House of Commons on Monday, where she warned the UK faces an invasion, uh, quote unquote, of migrants uh, could fuel support uh, for, for far right extremists. The paper's main image uh, is of a beleaguered looking Miss Braverman on her way to Parliament. Uh, Meanwhile, the eye leads on
2: Ms. Braverman's admission that um, the UK's immigration and asylum system is broken despite 12 years of conservative government. It notes whether the Home Secretary is up to the job as she fights for her political life for the second time in a matter of weeks.
1: The Guardian also leads on the Home Secretary's woos. The paper focuses on Ms. Braverman's uh, insistence that she did not block plans to temporarily house some asylum seekers in local hotels to avoid overcrowding in migrant centres. But it notes her denial is contradicted by multiple sources who told the paper she had been repeatedly warning, uh, uh, repeatedly warned of overcrowding. It leads with a striking image of an asylum seeker behind a mesh fence in Manston, Kent.
2: Some 4,000 migrants have been crammed into holding centers built for just 1,500 people. It says the report compiled by HM Prison Service says many detainees have been forced to sleep on the floor of a converted military base with some spending up to a month uh, at a center which they should transit through in 24 hours.
1: While the Mail uh, also splashes with Ms. Braverman's admission that the UK's migrant uh, crisis is spiralling out of control, it uh, also carries comments from a Treasury official who warns of impending tax rises for the entire country. The official tells the paper the rises will be rough Quote unquote, and most uh, revenue will be raised through stealth taxes such as a freeze in uh, such as a freeze on income tax levels
2: and the prime minister also says that tough decisions have uh, must be taken to fill a 50 billion pound budgetary black hole uh, it says chancellor jeremy hunt is planning a mix of 25 billion in tax rises and 25 billion in spending cuts the story is accompanied by an image of Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, his wife, and their dog standing the steps of
1: Downing Street. On the Daily Telegraph, the, the Daily Express uh, also has warnings of a painful autumn statement, um, and reveals that the pensions uh, triple the lock, which ensures pay- pension payments rise. By whichever is highest out of inflation, average earnings uh, or 2.5% could be under threat as well.
2: The Star accuses MPs of sweltering in an overheated Westminster while thousands struggle with um, spiralling energy costs.
1: Hmm. Uh, I mean, we, like we can see, most focus. Uh, um, most papers are focusing on the pressure piling on Suele Braverman amid a row uh, over the migrant crisis. According to the I, some of Miss Braverman's cabinet. Cabinet colleagues are are now privately questioning whether she can stay in her post. The paper also quotes um, a former Conservative Special Advisor, Ryan Hopkins, who says the level of briefing against her uh, from within the office suggests her relationship with civil servants has completely disintegrated. Meanwhile, the Financial Times (coughs) questions why the Home Secretary was so forthright in her denial Uh, that she opposed buying up hotel rooms to ease uh, overcrowding at the Manston Migrant Processing Centre. One former minister expects it will get judicially reviewed. um, And at that point, all of the paper trails um, will come out, uh, so we'll see who's right. Miss uh, Braverman's remarks about an invasion of migrants appear on several of the front pages. The Daily Mirror Says it was an irresponsible thing to say and questions why the Home Secretary is still in the job. Uh, senior Conservative MPs tell The Times that she risks fueling support for far right extremists, with one former Home uh, Office Minister describing Miss Braverman uh, as facile, um, totally uncompassionate, and insincere. The Daily Mail agrees that her comments were remarkably stark, quote unquote but that she came out fighting in the commons after a week of intense pressure. It also says that her supporters think she's the victim of a witch hunt by left-wing opponents. The Daily Telegraph considers some of the measures uh, the Chancellor is weighing up to balance the books in his autumn statement. It says that Jeremy Hunt is looking at a 50-50 mix of tax rises and spending cuts to fill a £50 billion fiscal black hole. One option apparently under consideration is to freeze income tax and national insurance thresholds for longer Um, And lastly, the Daily Express calls it a stealth tax rate, quote unquote, as one Treasury source admits it's going to be rough. Um, So um, pretty much um, uh, the same sort of story. Uh, throughout the front pages uh, of um, uh, of the head of the, of the newspapers today um was there anything that uh, that specifically or especially caught your eye or or even in the other articles from within the um, the, the, the the newspapers this month uh yeah there's
2: some uh, there's a report about on the m4 there's a flooding so it has been raining a lot like past few weeks and and um, the force warned other parts of the motorway were expected to be affected and urged motorists to take care and allow extra time for the journey so um and uh, on top of that high winds um uh, the met office issued a yellow warning for wind for parts of south west and north wales from uh, today 7 in the morning till 6 p.m. and uh, gusts of up to 65 miles uh, per hour are expected in exposed coastal locations with some sudden stronger gusts. The warning covers um uh mostly uh Wales but uh not sure if it will it will reach the, the if if it'll reach England or further south here in London.
1: Mm. um yeah no no comp- uh, uh that's that's completely correct as well um and, and in other news we can see uh, south korea um halloween crush uh, of course it is the 1st of november today um and uh, just a little bit about who the victims were at least 154 people are known to have died in saturday's tragic halloween crush in a popular um in a popular nightlife district on of the south korean uh, capital seoul um most of the victims uh, uh most of the victims were in their twenties, and there were more women among the death than uh, uh, than among them dead than uh, men officials say there are twenty six foreign nationals uh, among the deceased as well six students. Who were at school in Seoul were killed, uh, as well as three teachers and three members of the South Korean armed forces. The country's education and defense uh, ministries have said this. The um the uh, we'll just go through a few of the names um of uh, of of the individuals who have passed away as tributes. Uh, to them began to to uh, to emerge. There's actor Lee Ji Han, uh, 24 years of age, Choi uh Young, um there's an aspiring fashion designer Rao, uh, age 21 Australian film producer uh, Grace Reicht, uh Stephen uh, Blessy um and Gieske um Mai uh, Medina uh, Shenia Zauva, uh to age to ages 26 uh, as well um the, so, so yeah I mean of course this is this is in regards to uh uh to what had happened over there on saturday um and there are still a lot of people missing as well um but uh, the 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 whole reason behind this was uh because of the the, the halloween uh, party isn't it um in the in the popular nightlife district of uh, of the capital of south korea um just a little bit before we maybe go through maybe just uh, one last um uh, article as well um, Osman, uh, what what is the uh, teaching when it comes to, um, to 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 Halloween? What what does Islam tell us um, uh, about Halloween? Is this something that we uh, should celebrate or should should go out and uh, go for trick and treating, or or or, or, or what does Islam teach us uh, otherwise?
2: Yeah, so uh, the teachings of Islam. Are, um, are very uh, straightforward. It's that any new innovation or any any new celebrations which are not according to um, our faith or which have, uh, I would say, a, a not the right basis, not the right uh, initiative behind it, they are not permitted. Um, the reason being that um, our ultimate goal, our ultimate purpose is the worship of God mm. and to serve mankind. You know, as you always say, there's two purposes of man. One is to serve the rights of God and uh, to fulfill the rights of man. And uh, this Halloween, um, it, it doesn't have anything to do with these two topics. It's rather, it's, it's more like a, it's like a festival or mm-hmm. um, um, that's why in Islam we do not um, celebrate it because we don't see a reason to celebrate yeah, this
1: yeah and, and and it has its um uh, a pagan roots isn't it um they they believe that uh, or uh, initially when it started now it's just a matter of sort of dressing up and going out and trick yeah. or treating isn't it um but when this had come about then um um in its pagan roots it was basically they believed that this was the day or this was the night um the 31st of october uh, the last day of October, coming into the month of November, they believed that on this night the spirits uh, are lifted, um, and the uh, and so at that time they would go the mm-hmm. the farmers they would give uh, crops um, and and other such things to sort of um, get rid of the, the 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 spirits and the ghosts and the evil uh, um, uh, evil spirits. Let's say, isn't it? Um and so mm-hmm. they would give this sort of offering of uh of crops or of wheat or whatever they had um and uh and from that uh comes uh and they believe that if they were to do this if they were to give something then uh they will be safeguarded from the ills of that uh uh of those evil um, spirits um and hence um now we have this, uh, this, uh, this act of for uh, trick or treat, isn't it? That they believe that if uh, someone knocks on your door um, and uh, they ask for trick or treat, and and if you were to give them a sweet or something, some candy mm-hmm. or whatever, then uh, the evil spirits will not haunt that uh, household. Yeah. Uh, but of course, as we know, there's no truth behind this. Um, uh, but but yeah. Um, Just quickly, I think uh, we'll go through uh, one more thing just on the cost of living. Actually, Um, there's an individual uh, and this is on the the BBC News um, who says that I can't afford to uh, heat my flat, but free coats keep me warm. Uh, So Dave Smith couldn't believe it when he saw that a shop in his local mall uh, was allowing people to take coats for free with no questions uh, asked. The forty-year, 48-year-old uh, was intrigued uh, and went inside to check if it was really true. Um, and then he says that uh, I was told I could take as many as I needed and I didn't even have to take them to the shop counter uh, to show what I had taken. I can't afford uh, to buy a coat, uh, so I was delighted, he, he went on to say. Uh, he took a thick winter coat from the rail outside uh, the Leith Collective, which uh, operates an exchange scheme uh, in Edinburgh's Ocean Terminal. Since then, David has re- has returned for further coats and now wears two on top of each other to keep himself warm in his rented flat flat in Leith. Um, and, and, I mean, it just goes to show, isn't it, how... Difficult, uh, things have become, um, and there was another, uh, there was another headline as well, or another article in which an individual says that we've only got 30p left on our electricity meter. Mm. Um, and it's just, uh, getting extremely difficult, um, um, uh, to, 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 to basically look out for the, for the, for the daily needs that one has, isn't it? El- electricity bills are, are, are soaring and they're, they're, they're uh, they they're way too much to 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 um, to, to to look at to go through, um, and uh, and and of course, uh, water bills and other such things as well. Um, it's just getting too much, and uh, um, a lot of households are having to cut back on essentials um, just to 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 heat their 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 household, and and it just yeah. it just goes to show how how difficult things have become, isn't it? Mm. It's also uh, just, uh, good to see these nice
2: gestures of people who are uh, understanding the situation and the people who are more uh, fortunate, who can afford more things, they're helping others out. So mm-hmm. that's a very, very good thing. And uh,
1: wherever we see individually as well, we should try to help people. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, And with that, we are going to be going into our first main segment for the day. Just to to serve as a reminder, um, the three topics that we're discussing today are how the Black Death uh, 700 years ago affects our health today. That's the first segment. In the the second segment, uh, right after the 8 o'clock news, we'll be speaking about whether or not just stop oils tactics are right uh, and how climate uh, justice is bigger than a public opinion quote unquote. Um, and last but not least we'll be speaking about a, an article from who, the World Health Organization, in which they uh, they warned that surge in chronic diseases, um, by 2030 if people do not start exercising. Uh, so we'll be speaking a little bit about that in the uh, in the last segment. Um, uh, just getting into the first segment now, uh, Usman, what is uh, this all about? Uh, how does the Black Death uh, from 700 years ago affect uh, our health today?
2: So the <clears throat> the Black Death, was a bubonic plague pandemic that occurred in Western Eurasia and North Africa um, between 1346 and uh, 1353. So it is the most fatal pandemic recorded in human history causing the deaths of 75 uh, up to 200 million people. All the victims had fevers, chills, extreme weakness, abdominal pain, shock and possibly bleeding into the skin and other organs. Skin, <coughs> skin and other tissues turned black and they died. Uh, people thought impure air caused the disease and could be cleansed by smoke and heat and all other sorts of um, remedies. Uh, children were encouraged to smoke to ward off bad air. The most popular theory of how the plague ended is through the implementation of quarantines. The uninfected people would only leave their homes when it was necessary while most of the victims would live in greater isolation. Bumonic plagues uh, still occurs throughout the world and in the US with uh, cases in Africa, Asia, South America and the western areas of uh, North America. The Black Death left us with a lasting biological legacy. Genes that may have helped them survive the Black Death However, these make us more susceptible to certain diseases today. Um, the research uh, or the study which was conducted um, the study was conducted after researchers suspected an event of such enormity must have shaped human evolution. They analyzed DNA taken from the teeth of two hundred and six ancient skeletons and were able to precisely date the human remains to. Uh, before, uh, during or after the Black Death. The analysis included bones from the East Smithfield Plague Pits uh, which were used for mass burials in London with more samples coming from Denmark. So this was a pioneering study analyzing the DNA of centuries-old skeletons found mutations that help people survive the plague. But those same mutations are linked to autoimmune diseases affecting people today. While providing a d- definitive advantage against the plague, the same gene has been linked with autoimmune disease diseases such as the uh, inflammatory bowel disease Crohn's. The standout finding published in the journal Nature uh, surrounded mutations in gene called ERAP2 The gene's job is to make the proteins that chop up invading microbes and show the fragments to the immune system, priming it more effectively to recognize and neutralize the fall. The gene comes in different versions, uh, those that work well and those that do nothing, and uh, you get a copy from each parent. So the lucky ones who were most likely to survive inherited a high functioning version from both parents the survivors had children and so passed those helpful helpful uh, mutations on so they suddenly became much more common uh, the the researchers observed a 10% shift over two of three two or two three generations it's the strongest selection event in humans to date if you had the right mutations you were 40% more likely to survive the plague the results were confirmed in modern day experiments using the plague bacterium Samples of food from people with uh, helpful mutations were more able to resist the infection than those without. This 40% survival advantage was the strongest selective fitness effect overestimated in humans.
1: Mm. Um, And just quickly before we uh, go to our first guest for the show as well, um, what lasting impacts uh, will COVID have? Because of course, this is also related uh, to that as well, isn't it? So as the COVID-19 um, pandemic is still an ongoing health crisis, it is difficult to say, but it is uh, also likely that it will not have a similar impact on our evolution as a species that the Black Plague did. Um, evolution works through your ability to reproduce and pass on your genes. Um, and COVID largely kills uh, the elderly who have already past the point of having children um it was uh, a plagues uh, it was the plagues ability to kill across the age spectrum and uh, in such great numbers that meant uh, it had such a lasting uh, impact as well um the, the, there are uh, a few other things which we need to um address while speaking about this as well what islam teaches us Um, uh, in regards to this and other such things as well. But before we do so, um, we'd like to listen to uh, a short audio clip uh, in which uh, the current wo- worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, Hazim Ahmad, Rahmat Mielah, <laughs> strengthened his hand in a question and answer session. Explains that the plague during the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, um, his time had served as a sign, and the same situation does not apply to the COVID pandemic with regards to spiritual revelation during the plague. Allah promised the Promised Messiah, Islam that He will protect him and everyone in his household. Would this promise encompass the present and future calamities that will befall the world?
3: See, that was the sign given to the Promised Messiah, and it was it was foretold by Allah Ta'ala to the Promised Messiah, This now the plague is going to start, and you should ask your community members, those who are are strong those who are strong in faith, they are very much staunch that even if they do not get the anti-plague jab, they will be saved. Right? But here, in this case, even even at that, at that time, the Prime Minister Islam did not ask that nobody should um, take this uh, vaccination. He said if the government make it compulsory, and then you can take it, no problem. Right? Here, we didn't have any such promise. So, if, but this thing is, you must remember this thing, that if we are strong and staunch, then in most of the cases, Allah will save us from the bad effect of this disease. But even then, during the time of the promise, uh, the the Holy Prophet ﷺ, even during the time of the Khulafa Ya Rashidin there was an outbreak of plague. And uh, this is why the Holy Prophet said that the person who dies because of plague is uh, has the status of uh, uh, being martyr, right, shaheed. So, we cannot say that this is the punishment if it, it is not a sign. During the time of the Prophet ﷺ, it was a sign. Now, it is not... The sign in that sense. So, if the government asks us to take a uh, anti um, 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 COVID vaccine, then we should try to take it. And, uh, we should, and it, it is not necessary that all the people who will be, who will have this COVID or no, but no MD will have this COVID or the person who has, being an amdi, if, if somebody suffers from COVID, he will be saved. If he dies, his status will be as martyr in the eyes of Allah. Right? So, we should take all the necessary measures against all the calamities or diseases or any outbreak. Right? Until and unless Allah Ta'ala tells the, the Khalifa of the time that now this is the, the, the sign and all the Ahmadis will be saved from this then that is a different case.
1: That was uh, His Holiness, uh, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Azim Izzam Masood, Ahmad may Allah strengthen his hand, um, explaining that the plague during the promised Messiah's time, upon whom be peace, had served as a sign, and the same situation does not apply over here um, uh, it, it, for the COVID pandemic with regards to spiritual uh, revelation, uh, and, and because of course, during, um, especially at the beginning of uh, COVID, um, uh, there was a lot of speculation and a lot of people were saying that, oh, maybe this is uh, to serve as a sign, or this is the same thing as 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 the plague, which. Uh, 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 had come at that time um, but of course um, it, it, as we can see from that audio clip uh, it, that was not the case Um we're speaking more about the topic at hand and how the Black Death Uh, 700 years ago, affects our health today. We do have with us on the line Professor Richard Jenner, um, University uh, College London. Um, uh, Richard Jenner is a professor of molecular biology at University College London, where he has led a research group since 2007. His team works to understand how the instructions in our DNA uh, give rise to the different cell types that make up the human body and how defects in reading these instructions Cause diseases uh, such as cancer and autoimmunity. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show. Good morning. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. You're welcome, and thank you for being with us. Um, uh, we're speaking about uh, the, the Black Death uh, seven hundred years ago and how it affects our health today. Um, and the first question that we wanted to ask you in this regard was your overall take um, on the article.
0: Well, it's previously been proposed that infectious diseases have have shaped human evolution because obviously any individual that survives the disease, especially a disease like the Black Death that killed almost one in two people Mm -hmm. in Europe and the Middle East and North Africa, people who survive that such a pandemic are more likely to have children and to pass on their DNA. And so any genes which help them survive are more likely to be passed on and become more abundant in the population. And this new paper was interesting because it's, it's kind of a form of genetic archaeology, mm. because it reveals how this, this, you know, this hugely devastating pandemic has imprinted itself on the DNA of people alive today. Um, and this knowledge increases our understanding of how the immune system functions by identifying genes which can protect from diseases. And the study found that, uh, that people with a particular variant of a particular gene were protected against the black death. But now what's interesting is having this gene variant is associated with increased risk of developing an autoimmune condition called inflammatory bowel disease. So I think this study provides um, a powerful kind of illustration of the delicate balancing act that our immune systems need to perform. They need to be strong enough to fight off infections like the Black Death, but not so strong that they cause collateral damage to our bodies in the form of autoimmunity. hmm
2: uh, and what is the mode of inheritance for the for the ERAP2 gene or ERAP2? So the, so the e,
0: yeah, so the ERAP2 or ERAP2 gene is what is is the gene that they identified that um that a variant of this gene will protect from the Black Death. So like most genes, everyone inherits two copies of the ERAP2 gene, one from their mother and one from their father, and the gene encodes a protein whose job it is to allow immune cells to detect bacteria and viruses because it what it does it presents bits of those germs on the surface of cells for the immune cells to detect and there are two variants of the gene that you could possibly inherit and these differ in a few letters of the code out of around 43,000 letters a few are different between the two variants and of the two variants one does a better job at allowing immune cells to detect bacteria than the other does and it's this more active variant that's associated with protection against the black death and uh, but also with an increased risk of autoimmune disease So inheriting one copy from one parent, one copy of this variant, will boost your immune response. But inheriting two copies, one from each parent, boosts it further. Mm -hmm. And the authors of the study calculate that people with the variant were around 40% more likely to survive the black death than people without it.
1: Yeah, Very interesting Uh, indeed. Um, Professor Jenner, uh, is there a specific demographic more likely to receive the useful uh, version of the gene?
0: So both variants are, are widespread around the whole world. With around, so about two-thirds of people have the less functional variant and around one-third the more functional variant. Okay. Um, that's associated with protection against the Black Death. Um, the variant that protection of the Black Death is slightly more common in people of European ancestry. So around 40% of people having that as opposed to around 35% in other populations, but it's not a huge difference.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, can epigenetics affect the URAP2 gene?
0: So all genes are regulated by epigenetic mechanisms, so epigenetics governs how our DNA is packaged in cells, and, and that packaging dictates how easy it is for cells to access the information in the DNA. But only some of this DNA packing is inherited from parents to children in what we call kind of epigenetic inheritance. Mm-hmm. And this primarily affects genes involved in metabolism rather than the immune system, where it's actually genetic inheritance that's far more important.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, whenever we uh, go through history or whenever we uh, see anything which has happened in the past, it's not just for us to to look at and, and be amazed by it or fascinated by it. Of course, we have to learn from uh, whatever's happened in the past as well, isn't it? So what do you personally think is the best way to move forward using the information gained by the study?
0: So the team who led the study identified hundreds of other variants whose commonality in the population of London changed between before and after the Black Death, which could also be involved in protection against the Black Death and other diseases. But they weren't able to validate all of these because the second set of samples from Denmark that they were using to confirm their results weren't as large as the set of samples they had from London. So if they were able to increase the number of samples, they would have more statistical power to identify other genetic variants that protect against the Black Death and therefore may also be involved in protection against diseases now so that's one thing that would be useful to do mm-hmm. also performing similar studies from skeletal dna samples from other historical pandemics for example leprosy which is also now which also was very abundant um, historically but not not so much uh, now in 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 europe in any case will also reveal how other infections diseases have shaped human evolution and again this will further increase our understanding of why some individuals have genetic suscept- susceptibility to autoimmune diseases and others don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, and just lastly there, uh, P- Professor Jenner, obviously we, we can't really ch- uh, choose our DNA and and what we get passed down from our parents, um, but is there anything that we can do um, to to boost our immunity uh, when it comes to um, fighting diseases and other such things?
0: best thing to do is to try and stay fit and healthy, so each uh, balanced diet, uh, and to try and exercise. I mm-hmm. think they're the best ways of, of maintaining a, a healthy immune system. Yeah. And sleep as well. And trying to get eight, uh, you know, seven to eight hours sleep a night again is the, there's no shortcuts. It's just trying to, buy about keeping healthy.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, mm-hmm. most certainly, most certainly. And, and we actually the last segment for the day, uh, we're going to be speaking about how there's a surge in chronic diseases. Um, and uh, the uh, World Health Organization, they've said that in by 2030, um, there's going to be a surge uh, in, in chronic diseases, um, if people don't start exercising. And like you said, it is all about having a, a balanced life when it comes to um, the the things that we eat the things the things we consume the things that we uh, the way that we exercise or the amount that we exercise and of course like you said uh, sleep as well very important um, thank you um, professor uh, Richard Jenner for being with us answering our questions we hope you have a, a wonderful day ahead as well
0: pleasure thank you you too thank, thank you. you very much bye bye
1: zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call that was Professor Richard Jenner uh, who is uh, a professor of molecular biology at University College London, where he has led a research group since 2007. Um, like we said earlier as well, his team works to understand how the instructions in our DNA give rise to the different cell types that make up the human body, and how defects in reading these instructions cause uh, diseases such as cancer and autoimmunity. Um, Of course, while speaking uh, about this topic, uh, it is uh, 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 naturally the the very first thing that comes to our minds as uh, Muslims, as Ahmadi Muslims, is in regards to the plague, uh, which we sort of touched on earlier as well. Uh, we listened yeah. to an audio clip of His Holiness uh, in that regard as well. Um, is there a- any other such things? I mean, when when we talk about the plague and before it was coming, this was actually prophesied to the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, isn't mm-hmm. it? That something like this will come. Um, do you remember the, the, the prophecy or the the, the dream uh, that uh, he had uh, seen at that time?
2: Yeah, so uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, um, peace be upon him, uh, he had a prophecy of the plague. Um, to closely analyze it, salient features and the extent of fulfillment within the parameters specified by the prophecy itself, which is like this, Awona came to the world, but the world did not accept him. But God will accept him and manifest his, his truth through powerful souls. Um, so His Holiness, uh, he writes that today, Sunday, February the sixth, eighteen ninety-eight. I saw in a dream that God's angels were, planning, were planting black trees in different parts of the Punjab. Those trees were very ugly, black in color, terrifying, and of small size. I asked some of those who were planting them, "What kind of trees are these?" They answered, "These are the these are trees of the plague." which is about to spread in the country. It remained unclear to me whether it was said that the plague would spread during the coming winter or the winter after, but it was a terrible sign, which I saw. Mm. And uh, I I looked up on on Google about this as well, and the first case reported was uh, exactly the coming winter, 23rd okay. September 1898, um, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. So I mean, it uh, it it was prophesied uh, beforehand, and this was to, to actually serve as a uh, as a warning uh, to to the people of Punjab, isn't it? Uh, not just for the people of Punjab, but of, uh, specifically for those people um, that the Messiah has come, and uh, the people should take heed of that. And of course, we have the the prophecy as well that uh, uh, God Almighty will protect all those people who are dwelling within the four walls um, of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace. And, of course, this wasn't referring to it in a physical sense, uh, but rather uh, this was uh, in a spiritual sense, isn't it, that whosoever comes within the initiation um, of, uh, of um, um, the Prophet Muhammad, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, then, of course, these people will be safeguarded as well. And when we go to uh, and when we look at Prophets, um they are actually to serve as messengers as well isn't it and and, and warners if we turn to uh, chapter 6 verse 49 and 50 we see that it states in the holy quran that we and we send down uh, and we send not the messengers but as bearers of glad tidings and as warners so those who believe and reform them on them shall come no fear nor shall they grieve and those who reject our signs punishment will reach them Because they disobeyed Um, Just quickly before the news uh, We're going to be listening to another audio clip Um, And this is um, from a a discussion based upon articles uh, of the Review of Religion um, By uh, Furhan Hamza Qureshi Um, And uh, this explains uh, the the plague uh, a little bit more as well
4: So, for Hansab, uh, we discussed earlier in in the introduction about the famous prophecy. So please tell our viewers about the famous prophecy. The Promised Messiah mentions that four years before 1902, meaning before he had written the article or the book rather, he had seen a vision and in that vision he saw that black trees were being planted all over the Punjab in different cities and different villages. And those black trees signified the plague. And he said that the plague would spread in Punjab with great force and great devastation. And this was a great prophecy of the promised Messiah, and he he prophesied this before anyone else had even heard about the plague, or had even thought that the plague would spread in Punjab. But along with that prophecy, he also gave um, kind of a treatment, or glad tidings to people, that if they repented from their evil ways, from the ways of abusing the promised Messiah Islam, from denying him, then God Almighty would remove the plague within two years. He said within two winters, that plague would be removed. But he says that unfortunately, as time has passed, we see that the plague is waging or raging even more than before. And it's become. Uh, to, it has come to such an extent that it is causing widespread devastation. He says that Allah the Almighty revealed to me that in this situation that The revelation means that verily Allah does not change the condition of a people or a nation until they change that which is within them, themselves, within their hearts. And Hazrul says that this means that until they believe that I am the Messiah, Allah will not remove this devastation. Or at least until they stop abusing me and hurling insults at me. Then he says that, Innahu awal This means that Allah has safeguarded Qadian um, Because it is the seat or it is the place of the messenger of God. So because Allah's messenger, meaning the promised Messiah is in Qadian, that's why this will be safeguarded. And now here in the footnote, he gives a footnote here, and he explains the word Ava. And uh, he says that Awa is an Arabic word, of course, which means to grant shelter or to grant refuge. And he says that this word indicates that Taunet Jarif, he uses the word Taunet Jarif, which is a term which refers to a, a type of plague, which is so widespread and so devastating that it wipes out entire cities, wipes out populations. He says that that type of a plague will not devastate Qadian. So, such a plague, which is in the in form of an epidemic, which completely wipes everything out, will never reach Qadian. And in support of that, he gives a revelation of, the, of Allah the Almighty, which was vouchsafed to him. He says that revelation is, Lawla al Ikram, Lahalaka al Muqam. That were it not for the honor that Allah the Almighty has given to the promised Messiah, Were it not for the honor that he has for this movement, he also says this silsila, this movement, then even Gadian would have been destroyed. So here Hazru says that this gives an indication or this points towards two things. One of those points is that even though there might be some isolated incidents in Gadiyan about the plague, so there might be some people or some rare cases of the plague in Gadian. He didn't say that categorically there will be nothing, but even though there will be rare cases, they will never be um, severe, and they will never cause widespread death and devastation as they are, causing, uh, as they are being caused in, in different cities. He also says that those cities which contain the enemies of the promised Messiah, his enemies, would be wiped out with that type of a plague, with that plague which causes widespread devastation and uh, loss of lives. So that was
1: uh, an audio clip uh, further explaining um, the 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 plague of that time as well. Um, and with this, we're going to be going uh, swiftly into our second segment. Uh, but of course, before doing so, we're going to be listening to the eight o'clock news. As also, do stay tuned and don't go anywhere. Join us after the break.
0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. And lines are now closed.
1: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Just a quick time check for you. It is two minutes past eight on Tuesday the 1st of November 2022. Um, the this uh, the segment that we're going to be speaking about today are in regards to the just stop uh, just stop oils tactics uh, and whether or not they are right uh, quote unquote climate justice is bigger than public opinion. If you are just tuning in, then in the first hour um, after the news, we were speaking about. Um, how the black death 700 years ago affects our health today um, and last but not least we're going to be speaking about um, um, a, a an article um, by WHO by the World Health Organization a surge in chronic diseases by 2030 if people do not start exercising um, but just getting into this uh, this segment now Um, when it comes to uh, climate justice is bigger than public opinion and uh, whether or not Just Stop Oil's tactics are right. Um, Well, the gist of this story is basically from blocking traffic to throwing soup at Van Gogh's Gogh's, uh, sunflowers, Just Stop Oil activists have turned to divisive um, methods to draw attention to the climate crisis. Um, And the questions that we are asking today are whether or not these methods are justified and how far can protests be pushed. So if you do want to get involved um, with our discussion today, then these are the questions that we want you to answer. Of course, if there is anything else that you'd like to address, then please feel free to do so. Remember, this is your radio station and we'd love for you to get involved. So do pick up the phone and voice your opinion uh zero to is the number for you um and if you are um um uh, someplace crowded you you're on public transport you you won't be we won't be able to hear you too well then do do go onto our social media networks on on twitter and on instagram and voice your opinion there or ask your questions there as well at voice of islam u k Um, So, uh, Osman, what are some of the incidents um, that took place over here? Uh, So the
2: Just Stop Oil movement um, is is a, a coalition of groups working together to ensure that the government commits to ending all new licenses and consents for the exploration, development and production of fossil fuels in the UK. So what they are demanding is that the UK government makes a statement that It will immediately hold all future licensing and consents for the exploration, development and production of fossil fuels in the UK. And the reason is, uh, it's the very first, uh, why they are protesting. Uh, It's the very first step to ensuring our survival. We already have more oil and gas than we can afford to burn. Let's get on with ending our reliance on fossil fuels completely by powering ahead with renewables and cutting energy demand by insulating Britain and rethinking how we travel, and by ensuring that no one is left behind and everyone's voice is heard,
1: <clears throat> and um, we we can see that over the the past two weeks, the group has staged a street uh, pickets in central London, infuriating conductors and commuters. Um, a Just Stop Oil spokesperson explains why workers throw soup on, uh, uh on Van Gogh's sunflowers. Um, and that is, uh, quote unquote, people can't afford to heat up a tin of soup. The government are seeking to accelerate fossil fuel production, which will kill millions of people and are failing to address the worst cost of living crisis in the, con- the in the country, this country has ever seen. Um, and this was the the, the demonstration provoked uh, mixed reactions um, and outrage as well. The National Gallery uh, staff quickly evacuated the room. The gallery has since confirmed that the paintings uh, the painting was undamaged. The uh, officers arrested the activists on charges of felony assault uh, and aggravated indecency and are held at Central London Police Station. A glass screen protects the canvas, a factor uh, just Stop oil uh, as said it considered. This painting is one of the most famous in the world, painted by Van Gogh uh, while he lived in the south of France. They also um, defaced uh, a luxury car um, and surveillance rooms um suspected to be a cyber security related also have climbed to the top of uh, of a bridge on the m twenty five highway. Many say we are alienating um members of the public, but the b p p uh, says they have more money than they n- uh, know what to do in a life crisis. And lastly, no one was outraged that the floods um, in Pakistan displaced 33 million people, but the painting caused a much more outrage. And we'll touch on that in, in maybe just a short while. But before we do so, we do have with us on the line our first guest uh, for this segment, uh, Jennifer Leach, um, an artist and activ- activist uh, and director of the Earth arts organisation uh, Outrider Anthems Peace be upon you, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show Thank you Hi. You're, you're welcome and thank you for, for being with us. Um, what is your view um, on Just Stop Oil's campaign?
5: So in general I think they what they're doing is extremely important, powerful um, necessary and uh Controversial in the tactics they're using, but um, in bringing to everyday attention the fact that we cannot carry on as we're as we're um, continuing committed to fossil fuel use when there are other options and change is absolutely essential for our survival and for mm. the survival of people um, outside of the rich countries. Actually, right at the uh, at the present, as you mentioned, um, places like Pakistan. Um, and the the worldwide catastrophes that are a direct result of our um, our inability to change. So yes, I think in, in general, the Just Stop Oil campaign is um, brave and necessary. These, uh,
2: sorry, uh, carry on.
5: No, I'm, I'm, that, that was it, yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. Uh, yeah, so the next question we have is that as an environmental artist yourself, how do you feel uh, about this particular painting being targeted?
5: Yes, so... As I say, in general, I'm very supportive of their um, their actions. Their actions are generally related in some way or another to the issue. So, you know, transport, um, buildings, they've just spray painted buildings such as MI5 yesterday. That all makes sense to me. The targeting of the painting really bothered me uh, deeply. And I've thought long and hard about it since. I've had lots of discussions about it. And I still maintain that what really bothers me on some subtle level is that it was quite a violent whether the glass was there and whether the painting was protected or not is is relevant but it's not the whole story I think the that it was an act of violence and to throw the tomato soup over a painting that in itself was an expression of such an incredible love for nature it was Van Gogh's entire life, and he was a very, very poor um, painter his entire life. He was devoted to nature, to beauty, to the beauty of the world, and to um, communicating that vision to a wider community. So he was trying to do in a way what Just Stop Oil are are trying to do um, as well, to say this planet is just so exceptional. It's unique. It's beautiful. And he chose to do that in paint. And I felt that by choosing that particular painting of all paintings um, by that artist, it just seemed the most exceptionally crass and um, disrespectful action um, against a painter who, you know, devoted his life to the same cause. Um, So, yeah, it really bothered me.
2: Yeah, definitely. And uh, already places like uh, Africa, including your motherland, Zimbabwe, Asia and the Middle East have seen uh, how envir- um, environmental issues like droughts, wild- uh, wildfires, floods, wars, and overpopulation have uh, um, exacerbated already existing violent conflicts. Should we expect to see more dis- um, desperate attempts at uh, galvanising people in power to bring about change?
5: Yeah, I think it, I think it's. It's almost inevitable. I mean, it, um, when you look at the bigger picture and the um, the discrepancy between the powerful and the powerless, um, the situation just seems to become more and more fraught because the those in power generally seem to be continuing to take us down this path of crazy, crazy, uh, well, long-term suicide, really. Um, but they're not the ones that suffer because they've got the money. They've got the at the moment they're not the ones that suffer. They've got the money, the padding, the protection to, to keep the worst of the effects from them. In the end, we will all, um, suffer. Nobody's going to be protected ultimately, but in, in the, they'll be the last to, they'll be the last to, to feel it. And it's the, 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 the point about survival and, and, um, disaster is that it cuts through, it cuts through all of the, the niceties and the finities, and when it comes down to survival, um, that does uh, everything else goes out of the, out of the window. And I think also that that is the point that just Justapoye we're trying to make that when it comes to the the crunch and you're you know you're homeless and you're flooded and you've got no food and um, the climate is such that you can't grow your own food, then nothing else really matters. Um, and I really agree with that. And at the same time, I feel profoundly that it's exceptionally important that we maintain an honor for things that are good and beautiful um, in our lives and in humanity, and that we honor and respect those things of beauty that humanity has created. Because I think without that, without that sort of tempering and that Acknowledgement that there is something beautiful in the human being and in the way we live I think if we lose that then we become degraded ourselves as human beings and I that that worries me. I think revolutions and Wars across the world throughout history have shown that if you lose that fine Sensitivity to um, to good energy, then you become brutalized and um, really sort of terrible things follow on from that so I think it's also really important that we keep that alive
2: yes and uh, finally what was your incentive in founding uh, Outrider Anthems
5: yeah that's a very very good question Um, so I've found we founded it in about 2011 and um, I think it's in, in a way it's along the lines that I'm I'm talking about we're in a place of crisis and we're moving into walking forward on a path that none of us knows the, um, none of us knows. We don't know where that path really leads and we don't know what it looks like. And it's, these times are really tough. They're, they're hard and frightening. And I really wanted to, um, create a s We call it a sanctuary of creativity. So we wanted to create a space where, um, all of the issues of, of co- um, connected with our with the our relationship to nature, our relationship to community, our relationship to each other, can be held and looked at through creativity. And for me, creativity offers a way in to really difficult places that nothing else does. And so, cre- outrider Anthems was created to um, encourage the growth of, of artwork. And uh, works of theatre that really explore painful and difficult issues in a very gentle and loving way, so that these really important conversations can be had and held, and that people can hopefully find a way through to navigate through this very difficult place that we're uh, we're living in and the time that we're living through
1: no no most certainly i couldn't agree more um uh, jennifer thank you for 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 being with us for answering our questions um and uh, we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well
5: yeah it was lovely lovely to talk to you thank you very much for having like, me on your, on like, your talk today. likewise thank, thank you bye bye
1: 0208 687 7878 is the number for you that was uh, jennifer leach uh, an artist and activist uh, and uh, director of the Earth Arts uh, Organisation, uh, Outrider Anthems, uh, sharing her thoughts with us. Um, we're going to be going straight to our next guest for the show. We do have with us on the line Dr. Francisco uh, Garcia-Gibson, um, who is a research fellow at the London School of Economics. Uh, he works on uh, the uh, ethics of climate political action. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. You're welcome and thank you for, for being with us. Um, the first question that we wanted to ask you was in regards uh, to uh, of course this 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 topic at hand, climate justice being bigger than public opinion and whether or not just stop oil's tactics are, are, are right. And the first question that we wanted to ask you was how should we decide what uh, uh, are acceptable and effective forms of protest, uh, dissent and activism and, and uh, following on from that as well that are climate activists justified in resorting to high-profile tactics because they believe that little else has worked, or are there better uh, ways of uh, to actually affect change?
6: Well, that's a very important question. Thank you. So, I think that protests um, usually are justified in our democracy um, as long as they try to motivate deliberation, to motivate public discussion. I think the just Stop oil Protests did that. Uh, a lot of people started discussing the issue and, and we are discussing it now. So I think in that regard they, they were yeah, compatible with a democratic, a democratic ideal. Some protests aren't, so how to tell acceptable from unacceptable um, forms of protest. Some protests just try to use force to impose a view. Those protests aren't normally justified. Uh, but in some contexts where the stakes are, are high they may be justified. Um, I think that in this context where we are in uh, the global warming context um, a lot of, of strategies or tactics uh, are justified given that a lot is at stake. Um, global warming is not just a hippie issue it's, it's a real problem for a lot of people. Global warming is killing people and can kill millions of people if we didn't uh, quickly reduce uh, fossil fuel use. Uh, right now, there are deaths in, in Pakistan, in Somalia, um, due to lethal heat waves, to droughts, dr- very long dry spells. So these are becoming more frequent. And in just a few decades, if people don't uh, reduce the use of fossil fuels, those places may become unlivable. So protests. To 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 get people to understand what's going on and what needs to be done, I think are, are justified. Um, it's true that there is a risk of alienating people. You know, people may become you know angry at what the protesters do. There is a risk. That's true. But I think that the stakes are very high, so some some risk taking is justified. Yeah.
2: Thank you, doctor. And for the benefit of our listeners, would you kindly shed some light on uh, corporate climate lobbying
6: yes so that's another issue i'm i'm working on i'm, I'm trying to think for um, <clears throat> so a lot of corporations of businesses um, are concerned about the climate some are concerned in the in the wrong way so some corporations that think are, or are going to lose money if the right policies are in place try to obstruct the policies uh, try to block them by engaging in lobbying uh lobbying meaning trying to persuade public officials not to enact uh the policies that would that would bring about a better climate um but some corporations do the opposite some corporations especially in the past 10 years have tried have tried to lobby positively on climate trying to to push to 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 convince to persuade governments and and the public that Policies that are aligned with the Paris Agreement, for example, are, are, are valuable, are important, both for the businesses and for the people in general. Um, and this matters because, uh, given that there's a lot of negative or obstructionist lobbying, we need the other, the, the positive lobbying to balance it out. So it's not ideal from a democratic point of view. Uh, dem- ideally, more, more people, uh, not just corporations, should have Lots of influence uh, on on policy, but given uh, the reality that we face, where just uh, the anti-climate, so to say, corporations are are more influential than positive lobbying by corporations is acceptable.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and could you also enlighten us and our listeners on your Mary Sk- uh, slodowska uh, Curie project on on climate political action, please?
6: Yes, sure. Uh, that, that's a fellowship that um, I'm, you know, developing in at the LSE at the London School of Economics. Okay. Um, what I do in that, in that in that project is to to try to focus on different groups of people that might bring about change in, in climate issues. So one is the well, the issues of protests or, or climate activism more generally. I try to think through the ethics of that, right? Uh, as as the first question that you asked. Um, what are what acceptable forms of activism? When, when is, does it go too far? Um, should, do we have a, a duty, a moral duty to, to engage in activism? That kind of question. Then the ethics of corporate lobbying in climate. That's another issue. So it's movements, corporations, and then political parties also as an actor that might bring about change. And, and the coalitions that parties may need to, to engage in to to push for for right climate policies. Um, this is a project, a two year project, and I'm, I I came here to do, to to London to to do it. From I'm from Argentina originally, a place where that is already suffering from climate change, from droughts, uh, yeah. as many
1: other places. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, thank you uh, dr Francisco for for, for for being with us for answering our questions and sharing your your insight uh, in regards to this very important topic and it just goes to show how essential it is for us to take action uh, and uh, do something about this problem that we're seeing throughout the world um if you, if it's not as apparent um, uh, um, over here as it is in other countries like for instance you mentioned uh, just Argentina right now uh, and and you touched Pakistan earlier as well. Um, and then, 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 of course, it's about uh, us educating ourselves um, and doing something, doing whatever we can to to try and make a positive change as well. Um, Doctor Francisco Garcia Gibson, uh, thank you for for being with us for answering our questions, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well.
6: Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day you too. Likewise, thank you.
1: Bye bye. Uh Francisco Garcia Gibson is a research fellow at the London School of Economics. He works on the ethics of climate political action, uh, and he was sharing his thoughts with us um, in regards to corporate climate lobbying um, and the the project that that he's working on as well uh, as well as. Uh, um uh, protests uh, uh, as well isn't it um we uh, th- there are a few things that we do need to touch on um uh, uh, on this as well but before uh, speaking to our last guest for the segment um osman what, what is um our teachings or what is what does islam teach us when it comes to uh, things which are happening which are maybe um against your morals or against your ethics or something like that For, like and the reason why i'm asking this is is it uh does islam teach us to um go out into the streets and Cause uh, uh, problems for for the public public like we are seeing over here. Um, go, people are going out to the streets of London um, and and just causing a panic and commotion and blocking the roads and and of of course the painting that we've seen as well um, and going on protests or or maybe does Islam teach us a different way to to react to such things?
2: Yeah, this uh, way of acting, of course, is is not appropriate. Um, the reason being that you're you're being uh, to basically to cure one problem to address one problem you're creating another problem. So uh, Islam says that be protest is uh, is not something which is ideal. Yeah. Um, but there's various ways of protesting. Mm-hmm. There's peaceful protest. There's uh, vandalizing uh, like property and stuff. But um, going against the government is something which Islam is strictly against and the reason for that is that when one person stands up to to the government who is the head of the country um then you are basically going against it gives you it gives you an opening you know to go against other things as well and that will create further problems so uh, protesting um in this way is definitely not it's it's not allowed. It's not uh, it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. What's right is that you should, uh, like you said, educate people. Mm. Um. So they can raise awareness. They should write uh, articles. They should, uh, go to uh, um, reach out to the media. You know, do things which are not harming others. Yeah. Um we understand that you everyone should be concerned about this. Uh, and that is um, but but creating another problem for, um for your you know, fellow, for your brothers and sisters, um, it's not something they will, they will like. Yeah. So if you go to them, you st- sit in front of the car and tell yeah. them, come support me and help yeah. me in this, they will say, no. Yeah. Y- like you're, you're just wasting my time. You're annoying me. Why would I be helping you? Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: So that's why we, we have to act with wisdom, and uh, we have to use um, uh, the right methods, not go against the government in any way, even if the government is wrong. In some cases, because definitely our government is not saying that fossil fuels is the best way forward, and we are yeah. going to support it, but we need to understand they have some um, restrictions, they have other things at hand. Uh, but whatever, what what their thought, what their um, um, initiative, uh, I mean, what what the, I'd say the purpose basically of this um, protest, hmm. the purpose is. Is something positive yeah. that they are saying this this fossil fuels and, uh, and gas and uh, electricity we can use other ways to um, reach these things that is correct that that's a good way of thinking but what they are doing in terms of their actions that's not appropriate yeah
1: yeah no no definitely. Um, with that we're going to be going to our last uh, guest for this segment, um, uh, we do have with us on the line uh, Lance Fennell um, Lance Fennell is an artist uh, whose work explores the landscape around him, um, he has a studio at uh, Westbury um, uh, Arts Centre and runs uh, regular oil painting work- workshops there As-salamu um, um, peace be upon you, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show
7: Good morning good morning
1: and thank you for for being with us um while they might uh, not be justified in some people's eyes uh, could it be argued that just stop oil's protesting tactics are effective
7: uh, well we're talking about it so yes they're effective mm. in that what they're trying to do is to get it on the news agenda which yeah. is working it's obviously very controversial how they're doing it but um are they getting people to talk about it and raise awareness of it? Yes, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Very true, very true. And uh, Lance, do you think, uh, as a landscape uh, artist yourself, what would you advise uh, the, the National Gallery uh, after what's uh, what's happened over there?
7: Um, well, what I've suggested to them, I mean, slightly tongue-in-cheek, but I do mean it also seriously, is that um, I, I I suggested that they make a huge banner that would go across the front of the National Gallery, which of course faces Trafalgar Square, um, so it's a very public space, um, that says just stop oil and sort of nail their colours to the mast a little bit and say, um, you know, this is where we stand because I think that would not only get the message enhanced, but it would also protect the paintings in the National Gallery um, because people would know that the National Gallery were were on that side. I mean, I'm I, I'm a big supporter of Just Stop Oil, and I think that climate change is, is a problem that's just being ignored and needs to be addressed. Um, but at the same time, going to see paintings in the National Gallery, that, for me, it's like going to see old friends. You know, I've I've been going to visit those paintings mm-hmm. for many years, and, mm-hmm. and it really hurts to see, um, you know, film of people throwing... Um, well, soup, at them. Um, so, you know, there's a real dilemma, and that and that was my, my suggestion, was that the National Gallery say, OK, well, we, we want to just stop oil. I know that it's difficult for them, um, because obviously it means taking sides politically. Um, but at the same time, I can't see this going away, you know, because until um, the powers that be really address the issues, which they're not doing at the moment... Um, you know, protesters are going to keep protesting.
2: Uh, would you like to <coughs> point uh, our listeners towards an art piece of yours uh, you are particularly proud of uh, and enlighten us on your unique art style refashioning existing frames, please?
7: Um, yes, well, if you went onto my website um there's, uh, there's a painting called The Carousel uh, which is a sort of merry-go-round except it's not quite what it first appears. Um, and um, it's had a lot of comment when I've shown it before. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm, I like that one. But I, I tend to like the one I've done most recently. <laughs> uh, that's, that's how I work. But I like I like going to car boot sales, um, buying old frames, nice, you know, old frames. Um, I, I usually knock out whatever's in the middle, Um put a piece of board in instead um and then paint it um with the picture in it and and often paint the frame as well uh it depends on the frame and, and, and what I'm trying to do but uh yes um it's a good way of working and it's also you, you know you can you can get a nice old frame at a car boot sale for sort of fifteen twenty quid um you pay a picture frameer to paint to frame the same picture. You'll pay over a 100, 150. So it's, it's car boots are good value for that kind of thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most uh, most certainly. And, and and just lastly, there. What what are some ways um, in which an, an average person um, can raise awareness uh, about climate change? Do you think?
7: I I think it's very difficult. I think because obviously it is. It, it, it's, it's, there's things that you can do individually and talk to each other individually about to, to raise awareness mm. um, you know I use a push bike when I can but I use the car if it's any sort of distance or I've got things to carry or whatever um, but talking about it I think m- makes makes people more aware um, but the difficulty is it has to be led from above you know things like for instance insulation in people's houses um you know, you can do your own house and talk about it with other people about doing doing your house. But um, uh, I, years ago, I worked in solar, uh, and then all of the subsidies for solar panels were cut. Uh, this was, I think, 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's the sort of thing is, 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 is things are m- moving in the wrong direction. Um, we need to be encouraging that, not, not um, making it more difficult for people. Um, but yes, yeah, just keep the conversation going. I mean, I think that the more politicians are aware of the fact that it's an issue for people, uh, they're more likely to accommodate them.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, no, most certainly, most certainly. Um, Lance, thank you uh, for 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 being with us, for answering our questions, um, and we hope you have uh, a wonderful day ahead as well.
7: Okay, you too. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise, thank you. Bye bye. Okay.
1: All right, thank you. Bye. Zero, to zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you that was Lance Fennel uh sharing his uh, thoughts with us uh he's an artist whose work uh, explores the landscape around him um he has a studio at uh, Westbury um art center and runs regular oil painting uh workshops over there as well um and just uh, uh before moving on to our last uh segment um, what are some of the, uh, uh, the 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 rights of citizens to 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 protest, um, uh, Osman? I mean, f- for instance, Martha Spurrier said that protest is a fundamental right, not a gift from the state. But our right to protest continues to be attacked by by a government intent on making it harder for people to stand up um, for the cause that they uh, believe in. Uh, and she was also. Uh, saying that the bill was part of a range of new measures, including restrictions to judicial review and, and the introduction of voter ID, that were limiting uh, people's ability to make their voices heard. The uh, um, the threat of the of the public order bill must not be under, underestimated, Spurrier said. Um, and uh, Cameron Ford, a spokesperson for for Just Stop Oil uh who has been arrested many times said the measures uh, would not stop activists continuing their disruptive protest campaign supporters of the group have blocked roads in central london every day so far this month and th- and, and and that's that that's it isn't it i mean they've blocked uh roads in central london uh, every day of this uh, of, of this month of well of october now yeah. um but it's just it's just a, a a disturbance isn't it like you said earlier it's um we we if if we feel strongly about something and we feel as if maybe the government is not um doing what is in our best interest then it's not about taking it to the streets and uh, taking matters into your own hands and causing uh, further disruptions mm-hmm. um but rather like you said earlier there's better ways to um to actually go about this, to to change, uh, to or to make a change, uh, essentially, isn't it? That's what we what we're after, um, and, uh, and and yeah, it's not about causing disruptances uh, disrupt, uh, uh, Disruptances and disturbances, um, but rather it's about uh, uh, educating people uh, and yeah. uh, raising awareness.
2: Yeah, for example, like um, us, the Muslim, the Muslim community, um, I think. Your life is more important than gas, oil, and fossil fuels. Um, the I Ahmadiyya mean, community is persecuted in Pakistan. People are, ha, are just killed for no reason. And they don't have rights, like basic rights, mm. like freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Um, so we, we, we are sh- um, not protesting against this. We are not going against the government, despite, despite the fact that our life is on the line. Well, not me personally, but my my brothers and sisters in in those countries hmm. uh, like Pakistan, Bangladesh, Saudi Arabia, these countries where they they can't live freely, and they are not um, protesting against the government, and they are living their lives. It is difficult, but uh, at the end of the day, we need to understand that going against the government will have will create bigger issues. Uh, it's the same case here with with the with the oil protest that it's important. It's a very important topic but the way they are acting the way they are creating further problems just to fix one problem it's yeah it's it's, it's not helpful
1: yeah no, no exactly exactly um and uh, seeking justice uh, the right way through peaceful means um is what his holiness uh masurahmad Strength in his hand has also uh taught us as well and he he says that uh, uh, often Uh, protesters vandalize or damage possessions and properties belonging either to the state or uh, private citizens and this is exactly what's happened over here even where protests or strikes are conducted peacefully without recourse to criminal damage or violence it still can have sorry still can have a very negative effect. And he goes on to say uh, this was uh, from an address at the military headquarters in Koblenz, Germany, uh, 20th May of uh, 2012, that this is because even peaceful protests often result in a loss of millions to the economy of the the nation. Um, Under no circumstances can such uh, behavior be considered to be an example of loyalty to the nation. Um, and if, uh, and again, this is what His Holiness said in regards to the matter at hand. Um, moving on to uh, the next segment, we have uh, slightly gone uh, over uh, the time of which we had expected for the first segment for 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 the current segment. But uh, this last segment, uh, this last topic, is uh, uh, in regards to this a surge in chronic disease by 2030 if we do not start exercising, and this is um what the world health organization has um has has warned us about well basically a new report from uh who found that our collective lack of exercise will exact a heavy toll in the years to come if nothing changes the report estimates that there will be nearly A half billion new cases of uh, uh, non-communicable disorders like heart disease and diabetes due to physical inactivity by 2030. Well, the questions that we're asking in this segment are how can we stay active? And what can governments do to encourage exercise as well? if you have any ideas uh in regards to this, then do pick up the phone, give us a call zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. Let us know how you think um we can stay active or or even what the government can do to bring about a change in this regard as well um and on top of that, maybe you have some tips of your own, something that you've you've been following or something that you've um started uh that you would like to share with our listeners as well uh like i said voice of islam uk is our twitter handle and instagram um tag as well and of course you can pick up the phone and give us a call as well 7878. so uh usman what are uh how was the report combined uh, com- compiled what are some of its findings and um and on top of that what diseases can occur due to lack of exercise how can we actually stay active in the coming uh, winter
2: yeah according to many researchers um is that in around 10 years time um there will be several diseases developing in humans uh, such as heart disease diabetes dementia and other conditions due to the lack of exercise This has been specifically reported by the UN Health Agency. Therefore, the um, UN Health Agency has recommended that at least 150 minutes total of exercise should be done per week for adults in order to prevent these diseases. The World Health Organization has also warned that it is important for adults, um, whether old or young, should join sports activities, for example, jogging or running or any other exercise programs. Um, that are designed to keep an individual fit and healthy. And uh, a new report has also mentioned that in 2030, nearly half uh, half a billion people will develop a, a non-communicable disease such as heart disease and diabetes due to a lack of exercise. To help people do more physical activities, there are many different schemes around the world to help with physical activity for the people who may lack in um, um, f- uh, n- uh, f- physical activity, for example, making a walkable pathways for people and encouraging them to do more activity. There are many implementations of many p- policies, such as uh, nationally or, uh, nationally organized organizing running and walking programs that have mainly. Uh, ...been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Furthermore, there are several um, reasons for why many people are physically inactive. However, these reasons are out of people's control... ...such as kind um, the kind of job that they do and how many hours they work. But regardless um, of your um, limitations, it's up to you to make time for your exercise. Whether you have to get up extra early for that or stay up a bit later... ...because exercise is more important than uh, for for your health than maybe your own work um, ho- however people have also said that uh, there are no government actions taking place that will encourage the people to do any kinds of activities such as running or walking suggesting that the government is failing to make to take any action uh, to encourage a more active lifestyle for people as according to research there are only 40% of countries have standards of designing better roads for walking and biking much safer mm.
1: but i mean if we look around uh in recent times you would have noticed that uh um there are more and more bike lanes uh there are the, the bike lanes are getting bigger as well um and uh and of course for for, for the last couple of years now um it's been it's been it's been a, bit, a fair bit of time actually. Um, you have the the bikes bike stands as well, uh, in which you can just sort of uh, rent a, a, a bike for a short while for wherever you want to go, and put it back in their in their stations and other such things. So I I I I I don't think nothing is happening. Uh, I am I'm I'm mm. sure much more can be done um but it's 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 uh, it's not just something which the government needs to do but it's something that we in our own selves uh, need to bring about a change as well isn't it we can't just rely on the uh, the government to to uh um, to 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 do this, of course, they should be having initiatives and making it easier for people to uh, to exercise more. Um, but uh, at the same time, it's an individual decision that we all make of whether or not we're going to walk to work, cycle to work. Um, uh, have any other form of uh, exercise in our daily routine, whether it's uh, a light jog or a walk or, or even uh, going to the gym or other such things as well, uh, maybe playing some sports uh, with your friends and peers. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's something that we also need to make a, a decision about as well. Um, we'll be speaking more about this um, in a bit more detail in just a short while. Um, but before we do so, we do have with us on the line, Professor Lauren Scherer. Um, uh, uh Lauren Scherer is a professor of physical activity and Public Health at uh, Loughborough University. She has over uh, 140 publications uh, and 20 years experience of conducting research and developing physical activity interventions in schools, communities and clinical settings. Uh, Lauren was a part of the working group for the UK's most recent physical activity guidelines for children and young people as well. alaykum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show.
8: Thank you very much and thank you for the invitation.
1: You're welcome and thank you for for being with us. We're speaking about a very important topic, uh, one that we um, often repeat here on the Voice of Islam radio station because of its, uh, its sheer importance. Uh, but obviously o- over here we're speaking about it due to what the World Health Organization has said in regards to the surge in chronic disease by 2030. Um, When it comes to this, uh, this recent report, uh, which was published, some of the problems caused by lack of exercise were, of course, highlighted. And the question that we wanted to ask you was, are people less active nowadays uh, than than they were before? And if so, why is this the case?
8: That's a really great question. I think before I actually answer your question, it's probably important to make sure we're kind of on the correct page in terms of definitions because I heard you talk about kind of physical activity and exercise kind of interchangeably. Usually when we talk about exercise, we're referring to those kind of structured, repetitive forms of physical activity such as going to the gym or doing aerobics, for example. Um, we know that this has quite a lot of health benefits and is usually for the reason of being kind of enhancing physical fitness. Mm-hmm. However, we also know that exercise is part, is only a subset of physical activity. So you referred to, for example, walking for the bus. So any activity that's not seating, so this is standing, walking about, activities of daily living, activities you might do as part of your work, or even your caring responsibilities or housework, these are all types of physical activity. So to answer your question, in terms of exercise and physical activity and whether it's declined over the years, it's actually quite a hard question to address because we don't have great data on this. However, um, we generally believe that the opportunities for some people to do exercise or sports or more the structured types of activity, they've actually increased over the last kind of 10-15 years. However, when we look at physical activity as a whole, we have pretty good reassurance that that's declined considerably over the last, say, 20 or 30 years. And this is really the reasons about kind of erosion of this kind of daily physical activity. This is partly due to innovations in technology. So we now see children can now message their friends on their phones from their bedrooms rather than what I might have done as a child, which is walk around the neighbourhood and knock on doors and have children coming out to play yeah. we also see that more of our jobs have gone from kind of more manual jobs to office-based jobs where we spend up to eight hours per day sitting at a computer and we have less time for physical activity even little things like we're more likely to get our shopping delivered to us rather than doing our shopping for ourselves So this really means that all of those kind of little bits of physical activity which is so important for health have been eroded from our lives and it's really hard to replace that back into our lives.
2: Thank you. And do you think COVID-19 had played a part in uh, people becoming less active?
8: Yeah again we're struggling with really good uh, data on this because we didn't necessarily have the data before and during to be able to track this. Um, I do think at certain times during lockdowns where we were really promoted to do that one hour maximum of physical activity we actually saw an amazing kind of social movement where we said we saw more people outside walking than we ever did before. So for that very short period of time for some individuals it might have actually enhanced their physical activity they actually prioritise one hour of physical activity per day, which might not actually be normal. However, I think the kind of chronic long-term effects of COVID are long-standing. We know that physical activity has declined, especially for children, where much of their physical activity may come from physical education in schools or after school um, clubs, for example. We knew that a lot of these closed during COVID and it took them a long time to come back. We also know that kind of costs of utility bills um, are increasing and this is a real challenge for lots of sports clubs to actually stay open and offer affordable sports clubs. We also know there's a bit of a critical period of time, particularly in children and young people, where during adolescence, a lot of children um, drop out of physical activity in sports. I know from my children's sports teams that after the pandemic, when all the sports were starting back up again, a lot of my children's teammates had actually dropped out. This might be because they had found other things to do with their time, or they might have each even reduced their physical fitness and not felt the kind of confidence to be able to start back up playing again. Um, I also think that many schools were really pressured to focus on academic learning and that was often at the compromise of physical activity. So for example PE and sports halls were used often for learning opportunities or for exams because they needed to space children out. It's really hard to rebound from that. And if we think about kind of older people, more vulnerable people, people that are suffering from social isolation, a lot of these individuals can be very anxious about being active, especially in groups. So this might mean that they're more likely to stay inside, particularly um, during the winter months. So we really need to ensure that we're kind of encouraging and supporting those individuals to come out. So overall, I think that COVID will have an impact on our physical activity levels. Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, what are some of the uh, health risks uh, associated with uh, with lack of exercise?
8: Yeah, so maybe I'll start off on the positive <laughs> and I'll talk about um, saying some of the benefits of physical yeah. activity. So physical activity really has such an array, a host of benefits, which cross over from physical and mental health benefits. So if we just focus on the physical benefits, um, we, can, we actually see with physical activity an improvement in brain health, managing weight, reducing the risk of diseases, chronic diseases such as diabetes, strengthening bones and muscles, and improving our ability to do everyday activities. If we think about kind of mental health or psychological health, physical activity is associated with boosting self-esteem, mood, sleep quality, and energy, as well as reducing the risk of stress. So, If I was to tell you and your listeners that there was a pill that you could take every day that would give you these hosts of benefits, I'm sure that you would take it. When we're thinking of kind of lack of physical activity we do know that um, inactivity or not doing a sufficient amount of physical activity which is about at a minimum 150 minutes of physical activity per week for an, for an adult that is linked to chronic diseases such as heart disease, type 2 diabetes, several cancers and obesity and we know that this is costing our NHS a huge amount of money each year while reducing the quality of life of many people.
2: Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what impact does that exercise have on uh, academic um, learning?
8: That's a really good question and very, very, very topical. Um, We do know that kind of short bouts of vigorous or intense physical activity can have a very immediate short-term positive influence on some aspects of cognition. So these are aspects such as increasing concentration, attention and working memory and this all as you could imagine improves a child's ability to learn. We're actually not 100% sure about the mechanisms behind these but we do see that there are changes in brain structure likely because of the increase in blood volume to the brain. Um, If we also think of those kind of different types of physical activities, when children participate, for example, in sports, we see that they improve their confidence, their communication, working with others, for example. So these kind of softer skills, we know that these are also associated with increased learning um, for children when they're actually at school. Something else that is also quite topical is the idea of active lessons. So obviously traditionally we've learnt such as maths and English when we've been seated. So we've said to the children to concentrate, you need to sit very, very still. Now we're realizing that if we can actually um, teach some of these subjects through activity, so maybe learning math by jumping around or throwing a ball, for example, this can really have some positive influences, especially with children that are diverse learners. They learn in different ways. So some of these children can really um, improve their concentration when actually being physically active. I think though to kind of balance out the argument we also know that for example if parents or guardians or family members can read books with children, children that Mm. do homework or learn musical instruments, this is also related to um, increased learning in children. A lot of these um, activities are obviously not active, they are seated as well. So I think kind of in summary there is ample evidence to suggest that physical activity should be prioritized for the kind of Physical, mental, but also cognitive health of children.
1: Mm. Uh, yeah, most, most certainly, and it's. it's we see the benefits; um, they, they just don't finish, isn't it? You can make a list of the benefits right from uh, um, early childhood uh, all the way up until uh, uh, until we're we're we're, uh, we're old aged as well. Um, really? The benefits of exercising um, never they, they they never finish, and it's just something which we should get into from a, from a very young age. Um, and even mm-hmm. if we haven't had that in in our past, we should start. Uh, I mean, it's never too late to start um and we should really go about doing something uh more than we are currently doing just to bring about a change in our own personal lives um and of course we'll see the benefits uh, of that in the years to come isn't it
8: definitely definitely
1: Mm -hmm. um awesome thank you uh for for being with us uh for answering our questions uh into uh, and having this uh this insightful conversation with us as well in regards to this uh very important topic thank you once again and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead
8: you are very welcome. Have a lovely day. Take Likewise.
1: care. Thank you. Bye bye. 0208 is the number for you. That was Professor Lauren Sh- Shira. Um Lauren is uh, a professor of physical activity and public health at Loughborough University. She has over 140 publications and 20 years' experience of conducting research and developing physical activity interventions in schools, communities, and clinical settings. Um, she was also uh, a, a part of the working group for the UK's most recent physical activity guidelines for children and young people as well. Uh, just coming towards the end of the show now. I mean, it is proven um, that the Holy Prophet of Islam, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, past- participated ...in uh, uh, races with uh, one of his wives, Hazrat Aisha. May uh, Allah be pleased with her. Uh, And it just goes to show that uh, um, in that loving relationship that they had... ...they would uh, um, exercise together and other such things as well. The promised Messiah upon whom be peace. He also uh, raced against a Sikh uh, for the honour of Islam and beat him to lower his pride... Similarly, his exercising with weights is also well known as well. His son, um, Hazrat Maud, the who later became the second caliph uh, of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, Hazrat uh, Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed may Allah be pleased with him, he used to travel out of Gardian for hunting uh, and once he participated in a race with his children and servants on the banks of, uh, of a river as well. If one acts on these wise pieces of advice, uh, one can bain, gain both outer and inner beauty. And this is uh, from uh, a book, Steps to Exercise, by the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazim tahir Ahmad, may Allah have mercy on his soul. And we can see from all of these things how important it is um, to be physically uh, active um, and this is actually an injunction of Islam as well and the Holy Prophet of Islam. And that's why it's so essential for us to actually look after ourselves and our bodies. That brings us to an end for today's show. Here is the 9 o'clock news.